Well, it's hard to believe that the end of summer is almost upon us, right? School's going to be starting again soon. The NFL starting up soon. I don't count the preseason. Uh, and before we know it, we're all going to be in our fall routines. And maybe for you, summer routine and fall routine are the same. I don't know. But uh, you know, all of that means that uh, the final weeks of our summer series in the parables are here. And there's just a couple more parables for us to explore. I hope it's been a helpful series for you and for our church and I want to just briefly mention uh, what we're going to talk about this fall. Coming in September, we're going to start a series called Anchored. Anchored, And it's going to be a study in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is a great book, so rich, and it's towards the end of the Bible. It's written to a group of people, to a church that is tired. A church that is, uh, has gone through a lot of stuff and is really feeling it. And the author of Hebrews uh, is encouraging to them because they just want to walk away. They're just ready to throw in the towel. And the author of Hebrews says, no, don't do that. Don't drift away. Don't get complacent. And over and over he tells them to keep their focus on Christ, to look to Christ, his example, his sacrifice, his endurance in the midst of suffering. And so I think it's a very encouraging book. It's a timely book for us, for our church. And I'm really excited that we're going to be journeying through it together. So that's what's coming this fall. Uh, Today, I am really excited to share this morning's parable with you. I'm not sure that there is a more beloved story in the Bible than that of the prodigal son. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson called it the greatest story in the Bible or out of it. Uh, Charles Dickens agreed. He said something similar to that. It is such a beautiful story. It's so well known. I was trying to think of some creative ways to, to preach this story. It's a familiar story to almost everybody. And uh, which is wonderful, unless you're the guy who is going to preach it. And then, you know, rather than trying to bore us all with stuff we already know about this parable, I want us to come to the story in a creative way this morning. I want us to just enjoy the story, just to revel in this story of God's grace for all of us, because we're all in this story one way or another. So I'm going to share the story from the perspective of the three main characters, the father and then the two sons, the the older brother and the younger or the prodigal son. And before I do that, I want to just share a couple of observations about the parable. First of all, the word prodigal just means wasteful. Uh, That's an idea you're going to hear come up over and over again in these three stories that we'll experience, these three characters. So the younger brother is is prodigal. He he wastes the father's uh, inheritance, the father's estate on foolish living. And the father himself is wasteful in some ways because he, he gives away half of his estate rather foolishly. And then he hosts this extravagant party using up even more of his resources in the process. But the older brother, he's wasteful in his own way. For him, he really wastes the opportunity to understand the heart of the father. He thinks he has things figured out, but he's really blinded by his own lack of understanding in some ways. And I think... The, the wastefulness of all three of these characters is part of what Jesus wants us to understand in this parable. There's something to, to listen for and reflect on as we explore these three stories, the journey through this morning. And so one of the things that we've talked about just briefly this summer 
Uh, but something that's important in these parables of Jesus is the characters. Sometimes uh, parables have characters that are meant to represent a, a person or a certain type of people, and that's certainly the case in this parable, the parable of the prodigal son. In this case, the father represents God the Father. Seems pretty straightforward, right? But the younger brother, he represents all of us, all of us who have ever wasted our own lives, who ever made foolish decisions and then later regretted them, which pretty much is... All of us, right? But there's a third main character here, this older brother. And he also represents us, those of us who have been established in church for some time. Those of us who kind of think we have all our stuff together. Those of us who have a certain superiority when we see other people making foolish mistakes. Which again, pretty much covers all of us. So these are characters that we can relate to. We can adjust our understanding of God the Father by looking at how the Father responds in this story. It's a parable of just grace. Grace for both sons. We can see ourselves in the character of the younger brother. We can learn from him the grace that God gives him, the decision he makes. And we might see ourselves in the character of the older brother. And we can learn from his response, the way the Father responds to him. So we're going to get creative today. I'm going to channel at least a little bit of my own acting background as we creatively experience the story. But we're going to start with the text itself. You can uh, listen or you can follow along in uh, the book of Luke chapter 15. And I want to just read it to us, but I want to read it to us in an unfamiliar version so that we can listen with some fresh ears. So this is the parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15, starting in verse 11. Jesus also said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he'd spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger? I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him. Your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, 
I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him? Son, he said to him, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So again, I want to creatively come at the big ideas of this story. I'm going to portray the story from some different perspectives. And the first is that of the father. I'll always remember the day that he came to me. I don't hold it against him. That's not what I'm saying, no. But the the pain of it is still in my mind. It hurt. I could still see the the look on his face as he came. He knew he was going to break my heart. But he did it anyway. I suppose I knew the day was coming eventually. Uh, It had been building for a while. His attitude was getting worse and worse more selfish, bitter even. I tried to to show him that our life together was better than whatever life he might make for himself apart from me, but sometimes people have to figure that stuff out on their own. He he knocked on the door. (laughs) I had told him before he never had to do that. I was always available to him and to his brother, but he insisted on doing it anyway. And, And there was something in that knock, something cold, something formal. It echoed a bit in the silence before I I turned to him and smiled. He was nervous. He had a whole prepared speech. He'd clearly practiced it, thought a lot about it. More than anything, it was just a way for him to justify to himself what he was about to ask me for. I didn't pay that much attention. I was looking intently at his eyes. I could tell he was trying to appear tough, firm, like he'd really decided on something. But underneath, I could see the truth in his eyes. There was a sense of... Uh, worry, uh, a sadness, regret almost, as if he knew what might happen, but he was willing to push past that and try it anyway. I don't recall all the words that he said, but he finally got to the point. He told me what he wanted. I want right now what's coming to me. I want my share of the inheritance. Now? I said, why now? Is there something you need from me that you don't already have? I already share all that I am and all that I have with you. Just tell me what you want or what you think you need. I'd be happy to give it to you. He didn't really want anything. He wanted freedom. At least that's what he thought. I knew he would regret it, and I hated to see him go, but at the same time, I knew I couldn't hold on to him too tightly. He had to understand on his own. If he was going to really love me, it would have to be his own choice. So even though it was tough, I agreed. I figured if I said no, he would just get more bitter bitter and and hateful. I didn't want him to leave like that. So I let him make his own decision. I gave him what he wanted. I think at first he was pretty surprised, but he he quickly recovered his firm, business-like persona, this facade that he carried all the time back then, this, this hard shell that said the world owes me something. He was excited to get on with his plans. The next few days, he began to pack. He was just buzzing with energy and excitement, uh, as if now his life would really start. It was hard to watch him like that, honestly. Hard because I loved him, 
and hard because I knew. I knew he was making a mistake. But I, but I loved him enough to know that he had to figure it out on his own if our relationship was going to be real and meaningful and, and lasting. So as painful as it was, I, I let him go. It took me a few days to get all the money sorted out. I mean, some of the other men in town tried to talk me out of it. They said I was being foolish, just wasting so much stuff. They were offended for me. I can't believe you'd put up with such disrespect. You're too soft on that boy. You have been for a long time. They reminded me that he didn't care about me or my feelings. He was just being selfish. Why would I agree to do this? But none of them understood the situation quite like I could. None of them loved the boy the way that I did. And they were more than happy to buy all the land that I was selling and the herds that I was offering. I mean, I sold some really prime real estate at very discount prices to give the boy what he wanted. But I have plenty. I have more than I need. They all said I was sacrificing too much. I knew I would sacrifice everything for him if I had to. He left without much ceremony. I think he would have left without saying goodbye, but I stopped him. I told him, you will always have a place for me. And no matter what happens, you will always be my son. Then he turned and walked away. He was going to a faraway, distant country, just trying to get as far away as possible, I guess. Mostly what I remember is the day after he left. I woke up early, but I didn't want to. I was just weighed down by so much sadness. I hated the reality that he was gone. And I knew it would be a long time before I saw him again. So much wasted time. I stumbled through the day in a fog. I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to work. I didn't want to face reality. I remember that afternoon, I went for a walk. I walked outside, out to the edge of our land. And there's a spot there up on the hill where you can see all the way down the street, almost to the edge of town. And I stood there looking, straining, just hoping that, that maybe he changed his mind. Maybe he was ready to come back even that very next day. He didn't come back, not that day. He still had things to sort out, lessons to learn the hard way, but, but that became a habit for me. I, I stood in that same spot looking, always looking for him to return every day. I think all the servants thought I was more foolish than ever looking for him. I didn't care. I, I just wanted him back home with me. Oh, during that waiting time, his brother was difficult. He was constantly bringing it up, trying to rub it in my face how disrespectful the whole thing had been. He would position himself up against the younger brother so that I knew that he was the good one. I mean, he did it in subtle ways, of course, trying to be sensitive, you know, but, but I knew what he was doing, making himself feel better because I would never do that to you. That's what he kept telling me. And he walked around in that time with a certain smugness, a certain satisfaction. He was here with me, his brother was not, and, and that made him feel good about himself. Well, it didn't make me feel good. Every day I would go and look for my son, hoping that today might be the day. And then it happened. The day came. It, it was so funny. Really, I, I had a feeling. I woke up a little bit early, and I, and I went out to look for him. And I, could, and I could tell the servants had all given up on him ever coming back. His brother didn't even want him to come back, but I did, and I went to look. And that's when I, I saw just a, a far-off silhouette 
But I knew, I knew it was him. He was, he was haggard and skinny, but I would recognize him anywhere. And, and before I even knew what I was doing, I started running and, and laughing and crying all at the same time. I heard people on the street gasping that, that such a dignified man as me would, would hike up his tunic and run down the street, but I didn't care. All I knew is that my son was back home. He was lost, but he was found, and he was dead But he was alive again, and and he's back, and everything is forgiven. Everything restored. So now the story from the perspective of the older son. Oh, I remember that day. Yeah, I was working out in the fields. I mean, not working, but, but supervising, you know. But that's hard work, keeping up with those guys, keeping them in line. I mean, somebody's got to be in charge around here. The old man is way too soft on everybody. I remember because it was hot. It was real hot, and I was in no mood for drama. But that's all that other son ever brought, man. I remember the day in particular because uh, my new tunic got dirty. Uh, it was new, but I was talking to one of the hired hands, and he, he spilled something. I mean, just, just right on the hem, but still, it was just disappointing and just... Put me in a bad mood all day. Those guys are so careless. Always making mistakes. Somebody's got to deal with, which means I got to deal with them, you know. But I remember because I overheard a couple of the servants talking about it. They had heard the conversation that he had with Father when he, when he asked for half of the inheritance. I mean, the servants, they were shocked. I wasn't shocked. Nothing shocked me back then. The, the things he did. I mean, all the wild things I'd seen him do. And the whole time, Father would just let him do it. it I, I couldn't believe it. Just letting him make one terrible decision after another. You know? But the servants, they were surprised. They couldn't get over the fact that for him, Father was as good as dead. They couldn't believe he would make a request of, of a person who always bends over backwards for other people, who always does the right thing. But they'd been disrespecting uh, him for a long time, so it didn't surprise me. Once he left... I didn't think that much about him. I I don't mind saying I was glad he was gone. Yeah. I mean, everything easier not having him around. I mean, I thought father was making a terrible mistake, especially selling off so much land to give him all that money. It was reckless. So much that we'd worked for, that I'd worked for, and he just wasted it on that wasteful son. But he wouldn't listen to me. He just kept saying, someday you'll understand. I picked up the slack pretty easy in his absence. I mean, he was never a very hard worker anyway, you know, so it was no big deal. But uh, I knew it would help Father feel better, knowing that everything was taken care of. I had to show him how dedicated I was to him, how loyal. I was the good son, always doing what was right. I tried to bring it up to him once just to make sure that he knew, but I could tell he didn't really want to talk about it, you know, at least not with me. But I could show him. I could, could carry on and do all the right things, and he would see how much he was loved, how much I did care for him. Even though he'd been disrespected and hurt, I wanted him to show how much he could count on me. Well, a long time passed, and things pretty much went back to normal for almost all of us. I mean, Father would still go out looking for him, of course, but the rest of us really moved on. There was work to be done, important stuff to to tend to. I mean, this place doesn't run by itself. Somebody's got to get things done around here. Somebody had to stay focused on that. I think that's what made me so mad when he came back. I mean, I I was angry. I was furious. At first, I heard this music just far off in the distance. I was out 
pretty far from the house because, like, the farther away you get, the more the servants goof off, you know. So I, I was out there keeping an eye on them, and I heard this music. And at first I thought it was just some of the servants messing around. Well, I walked quickly to the house, ready to lay down the law. It was a busy day. We had a lot of work to be done, no time for messing around. When I got closer to the house, I saw people, people from in town, coming up to the house. Something was happening, and I didn't like the look of it. So I asked one of the servants, what's going on? And when he told me that my brother had come back home, I just about lost it. I couldn't believe he had the nerve to show his face around here after all the anguish he'd put my father through, after all he'd done for him to come in here and everybody celebrating. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't imagine how father was going to feel. Seeing that son again, I'm sure he'd, he'd wasted all of father's money. He was just coming back here looking for more. And I asked the servant what the music was for. I couldn't believe his answer. He told me father was the one celebrating. He told me father had even ordered the fattened calf to be killed for him, and I just lost it. I couldn't handle it anymore. I was not about to go in to that party. I had been working and working and working, doing all the right things, and nobody ever threw me a party. I mean, you've got to understand, I'm not looking for recognition. I'm happy to serve my father. That's not it. But if anybody deserves a party, it's me. I mean, I'd done so much for him for such a long time. I put in extra work, too. Even, that after, even before the, the wasteful son left, I was working way more than my share. And you know, when you get right down to it, Father was using up my half of the estate on this party, wasting all the stuff that really should belong to me. So the whole party really got under my skin. That, that kid had wasted his half of the inheritance, and now he's going to waste mine, too? No. After a while, Father came out to find me. I didn't want to be found, but I just wanted to be alone. Somehow, he always knew where to find me. You know? And he came out specifically to invite me into the party. But honestly, that meant a lot to me, just to be noticed. That's all I really wanted. You know? But I decided to just bide my time. I knew it wouldn't be long before that son of his would get restless again and would leave again and then everything would go back to normal. Finally, the story from the perspective of the younger son. Truth be told, uh, it hurts me to talk about it. I mean, it's important for people to hear. They don't want to make the same mistakes I made, but I don't enjoy talking about it. I suppose the whole idea started when I was pretty young. I'd been feeling restless for a long time, just wondering if there's something better out there. I mean, things at home were okay, not terrible, just okay. I sometimes thought they were bad, but but really they were okay. But I always just wondered what else was out there. I always had the feeling that that dad was keeping something from me, that that life in his house was just a little too sheltered. Well, that feeling grew and grew over time. I tried talking to dad about it a couple of times, but he just reassured me, we have a great life, the best. I should just be content with it. I guess I didn't believe him. I sure do now. With that feeling of restlessness growing in me, I started to look around. I would take the long way through town, just looking at different houses, different people, wondering what kind of lives they had, what things they knew that I didn't. 
I would just sometimes stand in the marketplace, just listening, listening to people talk. (laughs) There were some real characters there, some men always bragging about this or that and things they had done or seen. I'd never done or seen anything. So it just made me feel more restless, you know. I remember this one guy in particular, uh, he had some wild stories. I mean, a lot of times people would stop talking when they saw me come up, but I heard enough. This one guy, he kept talking about this, this place, this, this far-off country. And the way he talked, the things he saw there, the stuff he did, I just knew I had to go there. I had to find a way to get there. I tried to mention it to Dad once or twice, but he just, he just brushed me off. No, no, you don't want anything to do with that place. But when you're so obsessed with an idea, that's not a satisfying answer. It didn't satisfy me. The idea just kept brewing in me. I knew I had to find a way to get out there, to to live the way I wanted. It was just a matter of time. And, you know, looking back, I realized I I was motivated by pain, maybe even jealousy. I mean, my older brother, he was always doing the right thing, always helping Dad out, always. And always kind of rubbing it into me. I got sick of his attitude, his his self-righteousness. Honestly, that was a big part of what made me want to leave, just to run away as fast as I could. And I was feeling all this, this this anger at him, restlessness, doubting my father, and then I struck on the idea. I mean, I knew I would inherit half of everything someday, so why not now while I can enjoy it? It seemed like a perfect plan. I talked to some friends and told them what I was thinking. Well, they started spending all the money in their minds right away. They thought it was a great idea. So they helped me think of a good way to approach Dad to ask him. So I was ready. I was ready to to cut my ties, but uh, when it finally came, when the moment presented itself, I was nervous. I mean, I really had no idea how he'd respond. Because when you think about it, it's a terrible thing to say. I mean, now I feel terrible. I can't believe I ever felt like that. But at the time, it seemed so true. So I went in, and I knocked on the door. I gave him my speech, and he didn't stop me or anything. He didn't say much. I remember he had this look on his face, this look of compassion, sadness, as if he knew what a terrible mistake I was making, but he let me do it anyway. At the time, I couldn't believe it. It was so much easier than I thought it would be. There was no shouting, no trying to talk me out of it, no shaming me. It was almost too easy just to to turn my back on everything, start a new life. I couldn't wait to tell my friends and start making plans. I mean, we already had a lot of it worked out. You know, we were going to celebrate and live at large, you know what I mean? Over the next few days, my friends all started backing out. And one by one, they made excuses. I was disappointed. I mean, we were all in this together, I thought. But then I thought, man, fair-weather friends, I don't need those guys. I was headed off to start a new life. I could find some new friends. I mean, with all the money I was going to have, I could buy new friends, right? And when When my dad finally gave me all that money, I couldn't believe my eyes. I mean, I knew he had a lot, but this was ridiculous. So much money, I was set for life. So I took it. I was ready to walk away, and then he stopped me. I'll never forget. He looked me straight in the eyes, and he said, you'll always have a place here with me. And no matter what happens, you'll always be my son. Little did I know how much those words would mean to me. I finally made it to the far country, and it was hard. 
hard to make friends, hard to find anything meaningful. I mean, I didn't have to work. I didn't have to do anything I didn't want to do, which was kind of nice, kind of fun at first, but it got monotonous. So I started looking for things to do, and I found trouble, plenty of it. I mean, I met some folks. We had some fun. Well, you know the story. I don't have to tell you all the stuff we did, but these friends were fun, but they were just using me, using my money, using my dad's money. It turns out all the stories I heard about the far country, they were all true. And it turns out that is not a good thing. It was tough. I mean, I went there to try to find myself, you know. It turns out that everybody there was just as lost as me. I guess there's more than one way to be lost. It's like my brother trying to find himself in his work and serving my dad. I don't think he gets it any more than I did. But I get it now. I mean... Life gets pretty clear when you're flat broke, starving, staring at pigs who are eating better than you. I mean, pigs, that's how it all ended up. I ran out of money, and then things got hard. I got desperate. So that's how it ended, pigs. I'm just grateful that wasn't the end. I can remember exactly what I was doing when the idea came to me. I was feeding the pigs. That's the only work I could get, the only way I could get anything to eat. And I was hungry all the time. And the words that my dad said came back to me. He said, you'll always have a place with me. So I made the choice to go back home. It was the most humbling thing I've ever done. It was embarrassing. I was scared. I didn't know how my father would respond. I went from embarrassed and scared to overwhelmed, to to stunned. Dad threw the most extravagant party that anybody had ever seen. I mean, folks in town are still talking about it. And they will continue to talk about it as long as I keep telling my story. That's our exploration of the story from the perspective of these three characters. I hope it gives you a, a fresh sense of this rich, rich story from Jesus. But remember... All summer, we've been trying to to find ourselves in the parables, which means there's one more character we need to reflect on. You. Where do you find yourself in this parable? Have you really experienced the love of the Father? Do you really know that he wants to celebrate you in the same way that he celebrates every prodigal person who comes to him? What's stopping you from coming to him. Here at Trinity, we have a special environment for people who are returning to church after a long time away or for people who are just getting started, just trying to figure everything out. We call it starting point. Just like the younger son in this parable, maybe you're a person who needs a fresh start, a restart. Our starting point group is going to begin in just a few weeks in September. That's a great chance for you to experience the same grace and acceptance that God shows to all of us who are prodigal children. If you'd like to be a part of Starting Point, you can mark your connection card. Maybe for you, maybe you identify more with the older brother. Maybe some of his thoughts resonate with you in a fresh way today. If you're a follower of Jesus, is it hard for you to picture the love of the Father in such an extravagant way? Or do you find yourself, like the older brother, more comfortable trusting in your own work, your own self-worth, self-righteousness, more than in just the free grace of God. Maybe you too need to return to the Father in a way, not trying to earn anything, just 
coming to him to be loved, to be celebrated. If that's you, I want to encourage you with one more moment that we should notice about this parable. The very end. You'll notice that the story stops, but it doesn't end. Jesus stops the story before the older brother decides to go into the house and join the celebration or not. And so in some sense, the choice is up to you and me. Will we, as as older brothers, each of us in our own way, will we repent of our self-righteousness and enter freely into God's celebration, or will we stay outside, content to try to earn something on our own? The father in the story tells the older brother, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. Because that's who God is. He's the God who runs to meet you, who rejoices in repentance. How are you going to respond to him? The end of the story is up to us. Will you pray with me? God, we are really uh, overwhelmed by the story that you have written for us, the story that you're writing in our own lives, people who are uh, happy to waste all the things that you give us, Lord, and, uh, and happy, honestly, to live in that place of regret and sadness, that cycle of self-doubt or maybe, uh, like the other brother, the cycle of, of trying to work and earn and, and, and feel your love through our own efforts. But God, we know that you are a God of grace for both those kinds of people, people who are um, freely wasting the things that you give us and people who are trying so hard to earn that they reject the, the grace that you give us, God. And wherever we find ourselves this morning, will you speak to us? Will you uh, help us know that we're... Just your children, children loved by you, children that you would sacrifice everything for, and you did in your son Jesus. He's the, the calf that was slain for us, the lamb that was slain for us as we are uh, welcomed back into your family, God. And we want to be people who are willing to rejoice over the love that you have for us. And we want to be people who let that same joy and that same love spill out over us and we celebrate other people who come to you and want to know you, God. So we pray that you would uh, use this story to encourage us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.